I tell you what, I am so excited to share this series of messages with you about hearing God's voice. And we did part one last week. We're in part two this week. I'm going to open by sharing with you James chapter three, verse 17, and then we're going to pray. James 317 says this, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we worship you. God, you're so good. You're so worthy. And today, we just say, yeah, we, we want to hear your voice clearly and know your voice. And today we say, Lord, open up our hearts to receive your word today. We thank you for the way that you can speak to all of us, even as you speak to every individual. You know every person in the room. You know exactly what they're walking through. You're not unaware. And you care. And so we thank you for that today. I pray, Lord, for the empowerment and the leading of your Holy Spirit. It's such a privilege to share your word. But I pray that what is in your heart will be imparted. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we talked last week about how hearing God, this concept of hearing God, can actually be intimidating for a lot of people. And one of the reasons we say that is because we don't want people to be think you're weird if the idea of hearing God's voice sounds odd to you, right? Or that maybe it's intimidating and, and maybe I don't know if I can hear God. And I shared with you a quote that my dad would share with me growing up, which was that, you know, don't trust in your ability to hear God. Put your trust in God's ability to speak to you. Puts the weight in the right place. And part of what we're doing in these, this series of messages is we're trying to demystify and make it clear that God does speak. He has ways that he speaks and that there's ways that we can discern what he's saying. We said that God's not trying to hide from us. He's trying to be clear with us. And last week, uh, we put a very important stake in the ground, which was we talked about the Bible. We talked about God's word and how it is reliable and authoritative. And the beautiful thing about God's word is we don't have to wonder what his character is like. We don't have to wonder if he loves us. We don't have to wonder what his intent is in, in eternity. We don't have to wonder about these things because he took centuries, and we talked a lot about this last week, centuries and many authors and many copies to give us something that was reliable because he is not trying to hide from us. He wants to reveal himself to us and make himself known. And he wants to give us something that is objective, that we can trust that this is how God thinks and feels about things. It's great is God tells us he doesn't change. Like his, his attitude and opinion about things doesn't change. He's not a bipolar God where he's all over the place emotionally. And he doesn't, he's not a God one day and a bad God another day. Like he is who he is. We know he's slow to anger, abounding in love. Like these are part of his attributes that we can study and learn. With that stake in the ground of God's word being reliable and authoritative, we're going to move forward this week with areas that are more subjective. And I use that word really intentionally because when we say subjective, it means we have to figure out, is that God speaking to me? And, it, you know, and how do we judge and decide if those things are God's voice? And the reason that we set, 
last week in order was we wanted to make it clear, first of all, God will not violate his word. He's not going to, we joked around and said, he's not going to tell you to slice your boss's tires, right? That's not Jesus speaking to your heart, right? Uh, because that violates who he's, you know, what he says in his word to love your enemies if your boss is your enemy. Or, you know, to, to love those who persecute you and those kinds of things. So we know these things about him. And I talk about these, the subjective realm, a couple thoughts come to my mind. One is God will give us thoughts that originate with him and yet we'll go, gosh, I think that's smarter than I am. Gosh, that is that me or is that the Lord speaking to me? I remember when I was um, an atheist and trying to figure out if God was even real and I wasn't sure. And one day I'm driving down the road and in my little two-door Chevette, I think it was about 17 years old. And I like to tell the story I was driving my two-door blue vet. But it was a Chevette and I'm driving down the road and there's... There's this bird running across the road, and I remember looking at that bird, and I remember thinking, gosh, you know what to do, and I yelled out loud, just fly. And then I had this thought. I was completely focused on that bird. I had this thought in my head, you know what to do. Why don't you just do it? And I'm like, what was that? (laughs) I didn't believe in God. It was one of those things where it was easy to dismiss, but it was also like, I don't think I thought that thought. I wasn't even focused. Where did that? And I knew what it meant. I knew what that phrase meant in my mind, I was like, I think God might be talking to me. I didn't, you know, I just kind of just kept on driving my vet. The Holy Spirit can, you know, so you have thoughts. The Holy Spirit can give you impressions and you have an intuition that God designed inside of you. And, you know, your gut and your, you know, those kinds of things. But these are subjective. And that's why we have to be very wise about how we judge those thoughts and impressions. Because it could be God Almighty. It could be yourself it could be the enemy i mean there's a lot of sources that it could be so we have to have wisdom in how do we discern when god is speaking to us and again i'm going to say this over and over and over again the first thing that we can always do is take it to god's word because he's not going to violate his word amen so some examples you know what in the word a few weeks ago we were in our series called New Things, and we were talking about Gideon and how the Lord came to Gideon to lead his people uh, into freedom from their oppressors. And Gideon was insecure about whether or not he was even having an encounter with the Lord. I love that the Bible puts this stuff in there. Because sometimes when we think of, well, Bible characters are like, they're all heroes and they're all amazing and they do no wrong. Keep on reading, Right? And Gideon had some insecurity. He was like, he was having this encounter with the angel of the Lord. And he's like, can you hold on? Can you just wait here? And he goes off and he prepares a sacrifice and brings it back to the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord says, all right, put it on that rock. Puts it on the rock. The angel of the Lord takes the staff, touches the rock, and the thing is, is consumed in fire. And he's like, oh, this, is, this is what he says in Judges 6.22. When Gideon realized that the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, alas, Sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He's like, okay, it's you. I believe. But Gideon's insecurity continues because the Lord's going to call him into this mighty battle, if you will, to, to bring freedom. And he's a little insecure, like, is this God? And is he going to give us victory over our, the uh, Midianites and the other people who have gathered to battle? And so in his insecurity, he says, okay, 
Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this fleece, and he goes to the wine press where he was threshing wheat before. He puts the fleece in the wine press, and he says, okay, God, if this is you and you're going to give us victory, when I wake up in the morning, will you just make sure there's dew on the fleece but nothing else? God, I wonder if he went over it a few times with the Lord, like as if the Lord wasn't you know, realizing what he said. Goes to bed, comes, comes back the next day. Sure enough, there's dew on the fleece and not on the ground. Now, for a lot of us, we're like, all right, you know, let's get this on. But Gideon is still insecure. We begin to find out sometimes God's more patient than we would be, right? He goes, okay, just one more time. Now, this time, I'm going to put the fleece down in the morning. If there'll be dew on the ground but not on the fleece, I'll know that you're giving us victory. And God is, like, so patient with him. I mean, like some of us, it'd be like, my yes is yes, my no is no. Go do it. But he's patient. The next day he comes out, and there's dew on the ground and not on the fleece. And he's like, okay, it's you. But you know what's interesting is while God is very patient with Gideon in kind of his indecisiveness. And when I tell you that story, some of us have our own stories of God, is this you? You know, show me and those kinds of things. While, while he was indecisive and while God worked with Gideon where he was, he still required faith. Because when he goes to battle, he has 32,000 troops. And you know what God says? He's like, yeah, that's too much. You're going to think you did this. He takes the 32,000 and whittles it down to 300. And he even says, so that you'll know that it was me who did it. Isn't that an interesting tension? God is patient with Gideon in trying to figure out, is this the Lord? And yet, he still required a whole lot of faith from Gideon to take this battle on with only 300 men. And what's important for us to see about that is, yeah, God is patient with us and gracious with us. But he's still going to require faith. The way that he says it in Hebrews 11:6 is, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so it's a good thing for us to understand is that God will always require faith because it's the basis of our relationship. Is a synonym for faith is trust. I trust you. I personally kind of think that that's probably why. Have you ever asked the question, why? like, why doesn't God just speak to me audibly? Like, you know, like there's an Apple TV thing, right? Why don't there just be a little box there and, you know, God can just talk to me out loud. I think the first thing you would say is, I did. It's my Bible. Get an audio version if you need it. <laughs> right? I think, I think that's probably his first thing. But the idea that, now God does speak audibly at times, but it's normally the exception in the word, not the rule. Right? I think this faith thing has a lot to do with it. He wants us to trust him. And to trust who he is and trust his nature. And what's great is when you learn to hear his voice that we'll talk about today, no one can steal it from you. Um, and no one can rob it from you. So I mentioned that a lot of times in God's word when he's speaking to people, it's not audible. It appears that you know he's speaking to them by whether it be an impression or a thought in the mind. That he's, It's not every time like the E.F. Hutton voice coming and, you know, this is me. Take notes. You know, it's like you know that he's he's speaking to their hearts and their minds. Well, we go to First Kings chapter eighteen and nineteen. We're going to drop in on a story about Elijah. In, in chapter eighteen, there's this amazing victory that this Old Testament prophet has. He takes the prophets of Baal, 
which are you know, basically people who work in the demonic realms and things like that, takes him up on this, on this uh, mountain, and he has a showdown with them. And he says, hey, the God who answers in fire with fire, that's the right God. So they try. They try to get their God to, to answer with fire and take their sacrifices with fire. It's a great story. You should read it this week in your, in your devotionals. And uh, doesn't answer. It's funny because Elijah even starts mocking him. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's on vacation. I love it. Then Elijah calls down fire um, with impossible circumstances with water on the sacrifice and all kinds of stuff. He calls down fire and sure enough, fire comes, takes the sacrifice, licks up all the water. It's this amazing, amazing victory. Meanwhile, they had been in a drought for years. And so, um, and so he prays and says, Lord, okay, it's time. Break the drought. And sure enough, the Lord's going to break the drought. Well, King Ahab goes back. He's telling his wife what's going on. And Jezebel basically says, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill Elijah. And Elijah goes from this interesting place of being a hero, prophet of the Lord, to it's like he snaps. And he goes into this place of fear. You almost wonder, you know, with all of the energy and everything that he had put into it and all of that, if it just was like the thing that made him snap. And all of a sudden, even after this amazing victory, he is afraid for his life because of Jezebel's threat. And he does a Forrest Gump. He just takes off and he runs and he runs and he runs all the way to this mountain called Horeb. And along the way, even he rests and, and you know, he's trying to get rest and this angel is, is ministering to him. I mean, it is this like crazy story of him just running and running and running and running. He gets all the way to Mount Horeb. And I'm trying to paint the picture of like this was quite a journey. And in First, in First Kings 19 verse 9, It says this, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Isn't that interesting? After all that, like, first of all, if God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer, right? If he's asking you a question, it's probably because he wants you to know the answer, right? And so we're going to read this, and Elijah's first response is, is kind of like, okay, what am I doing here? And this is what he says in verse 10. He, said, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and tore down your altars and put your prophets to death and sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. This is a guy who just stood on a mountain and watched God pour fire out on a sacrifice, Right? Again, I just love how real the Bible is. That this guy can have such an amazing victory, and literally hours, you know, within hours later, he's at this low of lows, and he's crying out to God. You can just hear the desperation. It's like people have turned away from you, and he's he's saying, "I'm the only one left," which we'll find find out later. It's actually not even true, but he's just crying out of desperation. And so this is what God says to him in verse. 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. And the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind was, and after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, 
He pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood on the mouth of the cave. The voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is like so powerful because Elijah's like in all of this fear and he gets to this place and the Lord just asks him a simple question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he's like, well, I'm like the only one left and everybody has turned from you. And he's just in this place of desperation and they're trying to kill me. He's like, Elijah, go outside. He goes out there and there's this, this um, earthquake and there's this fire and each time there's this amazing, like loud, kind of traumatic, like, you know, meet Elijah at the pinnacle of his own anxiety and everything that's going on. Nothing. And then there's a still, small voice. What are you doing here, Elijah? What God is communicating to Elijah is, My voice is not in the earthquake. My voice is not in the fire. He's like, listen, you might be spun up and you might be afraid and you may be all out of sorts and anxious and all that. But I'm not going to meet you in that place because I ain't afraid, Elijah. And I'm not going to meet you at the place of anxiety and speak to you like I'm nervous because I'm good. As a matter of fact, later on, he's going to tell him, listen, Elijah i got a remnant of people that you don't even know about. You think you're the only one left. There's other people. The kingdom is secure, Elijah. Like, yeah, things may be bad, but I'm good, and I got this. And it's this beautiful thing, because aren't you glad that God doesn't change his temperature and atmosphere to meet our anxiety and fears and all of those things? It's this beautiful, like he just, it's so beautiful because at the end, his voice is not in the earthquake. His voice is not in the fire. And then there's this gentle spirit, this gentle whisper, and he goes, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's a beautiful question because the reality is God didn't tell him to go there. He went there out of fear. He went there in anxiety. And he's saying, listen, there is a still, small voice and I want you to listen to that. And you know, the reality is there is a sound to God's voice. And that's what he was telling Elijah. That's not the sound. It's not fear and anxiety and, and all of those. Like, that's not the sound of my voice. But how do we learn that voice? And how do we know... He doesn't speak out of anxiety and fear and all of those things. How do I know when that's him and his voice? I remember, uh, and I, I was radically came to Jesus. I was like this atheist teenager, didn't want to have anything to do with God. Once I came to this place where I said, you know what? I think you are who this book says you are. I, I did what I said I would do, and I gave him my whole life. And I ended up, instead of going into the Marine Corps or becoming an accountant and all of my own plans in my own life, I know it's going to be quite an accountant. Um, I, my buddies in high school made fun of me. They're like, what are you going to do, like run around the Marine Corps counting bullets? Like, you know, they were merciless to me. Um, but I, when I gave my life to Jesus, I said, you know what, I'm going to go to Bible college. And I didn't know anything about the Bible. I just showed up and was just excited to learn about Jesus. And um If you would have known me then, you would have known a different person. I was an anxious, wound up, serious about everything person. Then the Lord gave me Elizabeth 
And it really helped me like become a normal human being. But I was really like focused and serious. And like I was that kid who like I would get up. I was 18, 19 years old. I would go and I would pray for an hour and in the classroom. And then I would go and eat breakfast. And I would take tons of notes in Bible college. I was the geek of geeks in Bible college. I was just drinking it. I was so excited, right? And I got into fasting. I would begin to fast. I would take a day a week and I would just go without food and I would pray during those meals and I was really serious about God. And I remember once uh, I was fasting and I was the next day, the fast was over, but I went and did my hour of prayer and I, you know, I'd make it to 60 minutes. I was serious, you know. And then I would leave and on my way to breakfast, I'd be dreaming about the oatmeal and the eggs and all that kind of stuff. I'd hear this voice in my head, simple voice, and all it said was, fast another day. And while I was looking for, forward to breakfast, I was like, man, I, well, I really want to obey God. And, and so as much as I'd like to go eat breakfast, I'm going to go fast another day. And it started becoming a pattern to one point, like, it seemed like every time I was coming out of prayer, it was day after day. Of, I'd be on my way to breakfast and be like, fast another day. And I'd be like, oh, God, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I really love you and want to obey you. And I was in this place where this weight was on my life. And it was really heavy. But I really wanted to obey God. But it was like every time I would obey, it wasn't life-giving. And it, it wasn't encouraging and it wasn't hopeful and and i began to question is this really god like is this thought really god and so i began to just kind of evaluate like okay if i'm listening to god even though not sometimes it's hard it is going to bear fruit in my life and it's going to be life-giving but it seems like Every time I would decide to fast and go fast on the front end, it'd be really cool and awesome. It would be hard. You know, I'd be hungry and all, but it was life-giving. But every time it would be like, fast another day, fast another day, it just felt like I was kind of digging into the ground and it was getting heavier and heavier. And I wasn't like going, oh, well, I'm glad I did because look at all these amazing things God did. Like, I didn't have this fruit from obeying. And I began to question, and I got into this place where I was super double-minded. It's like, Is this God? Isn't this God? Is this God? Isn't this God? I really couldn't tell. And then one day it, it, it occurred to me, and I think it was the Holy Spirit revealing it to me. Every time it would happen, it'd be when I had finished praying, and I'm looking forward to breakfast and on my way to breakfast. And I had this this God thought, would you do that to your kids? Would you wait right until they're ready to go eat and go fast another day? There's a particular cruelty to that, right? Like, give me a few hours of notice. By the way, you ain't eating breakfast tomorrow. Like, something ahead of time. And let there be some kind of fruit. And I had to come to this place where I had to recognize the enemy was using my good intentions against me. And it was creating legalism and a heaviness in my life. And it wasn't life-giving. And you want to talk about faith. Faith to say, I don't think that that godly normal thing is actually what i'm supposed to do because it's becoming bondage to me not life to me and that was like quite a journey but part of that was it wasn't just i can just go to the word well fasting's in the word well yeah so's eating and feasting so they're both in the word like sometimes it's like what is it that god is really saying 
in discerning his voice. And my heart wanted to do the right thing so bad. And the enemy was like playing jujitsu with me. I wanted it so bad, and I was leaning that way so bad. He's like, all right, let me just kind of work that into a heaviness and a legalism in your life. And I think he thought, if I can get that in your life, you'll put it on others' lives too. Your family, church life, and all those kinds of things. But man, it took faith and trust and looking into the word and looking like the scripture today that we read, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right? God calls us to hard things, don't get me wrong. And there is persecution and there are hard things, but there is grace for it and strength for it. I'm, you know, with people in different parts of the world, as you know, and we have missionaries that make incredibly crazy sacrifices, and yet it's life-giving for them because there's grace there for it. And so just learning his voice and trying to go, what is the sound of your voice and not getting into a place that's double-minded? And again, I'm going to say it over and over again. The very first place we always go is to his word. There's so much that his word solves for us. Lord, I want to get rid of my wife and get a new one. That is not what's in my heart at all. But, you know, it's like, uh, I read him. No, I don't think that's probably what he's asking you to do. I'm looking at it. No, no. Right? Don't amen. That was not, I'm not trying to trick anybody in that kind of thing. So how do you learn the sound of his voice beyond those very straightforward you know? Well, what's great is the word informs us. These scriptures in James, James is so cool because when he's writing, he's like so blunt and kind of right right there. And in James chapter 1, it talks about if you lack wisdom to ask God. Anybody ever been there? You're like, man, I need some wisdom. Listen to what it says, James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives it generously without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I'm going to pause there for just a moment. It's kind of cool the way that it says that. Anyone who asks God, he gives it generously without finding fault. I actually believe that when ungodly people ask God for wisdom, he gives it to them many times because his wisdom is such a blessing to others that he'll even give it to somebody who doesn't serve him because he gives it so generously because it's a blessing to the world around them. Like God will give people wisdom when they ask, whether they're serving him or not, I believe many times, because it says he gives it generously without finding fault. I think it's because he's like, my wisdom's good. And I want my kingdom come. My will be done in the earth. Anyhow, that was just bonus material. Verse 6. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave in the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. And many of us know what it feels like to be uh, double-minded when we're undecided about something and back and forth. And what this is saying is, listen, if you ask God for wisdom, trust, it's like my dad said, trust his ability to talk. Stop trusting in your ability here. Trust that he will give you wisdom. Do you see that in the word? That should strip away your own insecurity. Can I hear God? Will I hear God? Pastor Mike says he'll even talk to the ungodly. I think I might, he might actually talk to me. Like He speaks to people. And trusting that is part of the fundamental of who he is is very important. But what I love about this scripture in James, is remember how it started off, if you lack wisdom, Ask God, right? 
So, okay, so what does that wisdom, that wisdom of God sound like? What's cool is you go a couple more chapters into the book of James, and it says exactly what God's wisdom sounds like. The first thing it does is it's actually going to share with us what ungodly wisdom sounds like. And let's look at it. Verse 13 of chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast or deny the, the truth. Such, quote-unquote, wisdom does not come down from heaven. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Holy cow. The holy cow was me, sorry. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder in every evil practice. What it's saying is this is not what heavenly wisdom sounds like. It's not divisive. It's not bitter. It's not uh, selfish ambition. Like This is not heaven talking. But then it shifts in verse 17. And I, I love this verse. I love this verse because it starts off by saying, but the wisdom that comes down from heaven, and it's going to tell us what it sounds like. But the wisdom that comes down from heaven is first of all pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Peace-loving and pure and considerate. Elijah, what are you doing here? That's the voice of God in that moment to Elijah. What are you, what are you doing here? Well, Lord, you see, I'm a, hey, Elijah, what are you doing here? It's like beautiful, simple, not complicated. One of the beautiful things about when the Lord speaks to us, whether it's like dropping a thought in our mind or an impression, is sometimes it will be like just a handful of words, and it'll be like he wrote paragraphs to us. That's one of the ways you're like, that's God. It's like when I, when I was driving, it's like, well, you know what to do. Why don't you do it? The fact that I knew that the Lord was talking to me about giving my life to Jesus, and I knew how to give my life to Jesus, and why don't I just give my life to Jesus? Because like that bird, I won't be just running out, you know, running in front of a car ready to bear, bear down on me. I'll just take off and fly. I don't mean to take it too far, but like it's like God was saying so much. You just, well, you know what to do, why don't you just do it? I'm like, what was that? Wasn't audible, but it was so much and so little. It was smarter than me, nicer than me. And was leading me to him. Again, it was subjective, right? You have to judge these things. It's like, I, I think that is the Lord. A question for you Do you believe that God wants to speak to you? I hope that your answer to that is yes. Because any answer to that that would say no is a reflection, honestly probably not of what you think of God, but probably a reflection of what you think of yourself. And I just want to encourage you, you don't have the authority to take yourself outside of the fact that God loves you and wants to redeem you, wants to give you life and purpose and a new life in him. Your opinion on the matter will not change his heart and love for you. That while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. He has been pursuing us and pursuing us while we were yet sinners. He was pursuing us before we could ever love him or have affection. He was already after us, already sending his love for us. He is in pursuit of you. The real question is, will you respond to his pursuit? That's really the question. Because, yeah, he is speaking to you. We talked last week, the greatest sign ever was the cross. That's the greatest sign of love, self-sacrifice. I will pay for your sins that you deserve to pay for. God says, I will take them and I will pay for those sins so that you can be free of the weight and the shame of sin. No greater love have a man than this than he lay down his life for his brother. I mean, this is a passionate God for us. I want you to know this morning, he desires to speak to you. And he has a word of wisdom for you. But the way that we're laying it out, of course, is first what? God's word. Right? That has to be the foundation. That's so that you can't just be blown this way and that way and just be all scattered. God is not calling you to double-mindedness or some subjective living where you're just blown around like a kite with every little thought and impression. That's not how God operates. But he does speak specifically. And intentionally. And even this morning, you know, I'm sitting there worshiping, and the last thing on my mind at the moment is there are people who are carrying a weight and that are heavy this morning. God starts putting very specific people on my mind. I'm like, God, do you want me to go pray for that person or that person? Like, no, I want you to give a word. And this is the scripture My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And there are some people today, you're like, man, Jesus was reading my mail. Like, that's exactly what, and it's like, it's because he speaks. Amen? He speaks, and he's speaking to all of us. And it's not a fickle, crazy, like all over the place thing. It's like, so how do I discern his voice? And what's great is it's not the shouting. It's not the chaos. It's the still, small voice that is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. The way I say it in my own brain is he's smarter than me and nicer than me.